You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Show. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald. Thank you so very much for being with us again today. I am just thrilled to bring this episode to you today. I get to profile a new business that's coming to the Wood River Valley of Idaho, and I'll be speaking with Brett Stevenson, the owner and founder of Hillside Grain, which is going to be a flour mill, a mid-scale flour mill located right there in the Wood River Valley on her family's farm, where they're going to be milling wheat grown right there. It's a really exciting interview about an emerging business that's coming that will be distributing flour milled right here in Idaho all over the country and the way things are getting done and the reasons that Brett started this business or is starting this business in this mill are very, very compelling. I'm really looking forward to introducing you to her and introducing you to the business that she is starting right there in the Wood River Valley. We'll have that coming up for you here in just a moment. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Hey, you bet. I am excited about what you're doing with grain production and, and everything you're doing here in Idaho, and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with our listeners. I uh, Thank you so much for agreeing to do that. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you about yeah. it. Well, let's do this. If you could, just introduce yourself mm-hmm. to our listeners really quick. Just kind of let them know who you are, where you live, all that type of stuff. Yeah, okay. Uh, my name is Brett Stevenson. I live in the Wood River Valley, and um, I grew up here, and... I'm working on building a flour mill. We're close to completion on a flour mill. We should be operational in the next, oh, fingers crossed, week or two. Oh, really? Well, I'm catching you right probably at your busiest time. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, that's all right. It's been a little hectic, um, (laughs) a little stressful, but super exciting. So it's been a long adventure to get this far, but I think there's um, a long adventure in front of me still (laughs) still to come once we're done with the construction phase. So it's an interesting process. Well, absolutely. That's exciting. And, and the launch of anything is very, very exciting. But for you, there's probably going to be a bit of a sense of relief once the flour mill is done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Getting the equipment and getting the whole um, processing. We have a grain cleaning facility and then a milling line. And um, they were both designed by a designer in Europe, actually. And he sourced all the equipment almost all of it from Europe, and we had it sent over, three containers worth of equipment shipped over, Mm -hmm. Um, and it was largely because it was pretty challenging to find that sort of mid-scale food production equipment in the U.S., so a lot of it is coming from Europe, where I think mid-scale food production is far more common as are mills and bakeries. Well, we're going to circle back to your new flour mill here coming up in a second. You grew up on a farm in the Wood River Valley just south of Bellevue, right? That's right, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. My dad... He started farming in the early 1970s. Um, he's been farming farming since. So, yeah, he started farming before I was born, and, <laughs> and he loves it. Yeah, so that's where I, that's where I grew up. You know, that's funny. You you hear somebody grew up in the Wood River Valley, and you think snow skiing and a mansion and all this type of stuff right yeah. on the river. You're on a farm, and so you're actually farming some of that incredible ground there is uh, for agricultural production there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, totally. I think I think that's spot on. There's sort of this um, image of the Wood River Valley, that Sun Valley and the ski resorts sort of dominate. But the south end of the valley, it opens up, and um, there's great 
ag land down we call it bellevue triangle it's the southern part of the valley and mm-hmm. um yeah there's there's quite a bit of ag production coming out of our little valley yeah there really is every time i've driven through there i've always admired all the cattle and you know just how great it would be to farm there but what people with livestock do during the winter when the snow piles up but with you guys with <laughs> with wheat maybe not as big a concern yeah, definitely not as big of a concern with with um, crops, but I I totally agree. I see the poor cattle like right now they're calving and well they have been for a while and there's still there's still quite a bit of snow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little harsh on the cattle. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Well, now how long has your family been involved in farming and grain production? Does it go back just to when your dad started there in the 70s? Yeah, to the 70s, and he started with he did a little bit of wheat early on, but primarily barley. He actually did have cattle initially and sold the cattle pretty early on and focused mostly on barley. And it's been primarily for Coors, some for Anheuser-Busch, but mostly for Coors and then Miller Coors. And then um, we typically rotate with alfalfa for the dairies in southern Idaho. And do you grow your alfalfa as a rotational crop, or is that one of the staples of your farm as well? Yeah, I mean, it's probably like half and half from year to year, uh, alfalfa and barley roughly. And when we just rotate every couple of years between the two, the different fields keep that rotation going and keep the nitrogen fixed in the from the alfalfa into the grain. Mm-hmm. So it works out pretty well, especially with a pretty large demand for alfalfa coming from the dairies in southern Idaho. Well, now I read mm-hmm. that your farm your and your father's farm is a Miller Coors Showcase Barley Farm. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was a while ago that they gave us that designation, and what it was, it was pretty neat at the time. I think it was, um, I don't know, maybe seven years ago or so. Um, Miller Coors worked um, pretty closely with the Nature Conservancy and us to improve our irrigation practices, and it resulted in a lot of water savings. And so some of that involved taking off end guns or reducing the flow through end guns and lowering sprinkler heads, um, variable rate irrigation, Primarily things like that. There was also some reestablishing of riparian areas and building um, habitat for pollinators. And it also constantly resulted in a lot of energy savings, too. So it was a pretty neat endeavor. And it went on for a couple years pretty actively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a little, yeah, we haven't done much. We haven't added to it or worked with them in recent years. But it was neat because it was, it was essentially like grant money from Miller Coors and the Nature Conservancy helped to implement it with with Miller Coors and us. So, um, yeah, it was it was a neat neat project. Well, Brett, that is a great introduction. Let's take our first break, and then when we come back, I want to ask you about this flour mill that you're building, okay? Okay, great. <laughs> Sounds good. Spring is already in the air at D&B Supply because we've got DeWalt blowers and trimmers on hand to get you ready for the road or yard ahead. Power through your outdoor spring cleaning with DeWalt's FlexVolt 60-volt Max handheld blower or string trimmer. With a super-powered lightweight lithium-ion battery, they're designed to take charge of tough overgrowth and heavy-duty chores. It's ready, set, blow when you spring into action with your DeWalt blower or trimmer at D&B Now. Tired of choosing between feeding your lawn for a thick green turf and fighting annoying weeds? D&B Supply is here to help you do both with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed. Sometimes feeding your lawn also means feeding unwanted weeds that have taken root. That's why Scott's developed Turf Builder Weed and Feed, which uses a weed killer while also feeding your lawn to crowd out the weeds. So get to the root of your lawn issues with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed at your favorite D&B Supply. 
All right, Brett. Well, now that we're back, we've got to talk about this flour mill. I am fascinated by this concept. So let me ask you, what was the inspiration for this? Why, Why did you decide to build your own flour mill? So yeah, in southern Idaho, we're we're really prime for growing grain and are growing some really high quality grain and a lot of it. And I started looking around trying to figure out how to process some of our grain and quickly realized that there's, I think, a little bit of a shortage of small, mid-scale, identity-preserved uh, grain processing opportunities. So that was one inspiration to start a flour mill. And I have to say, the other one has a little bit of a personal story, and it's... Um, to weave in some vertical integration in our operation and essentially build upon what my dad created. And that that's pretty motivating and exciting to see, to become part of his operation or, or add to it, you know, mm-hmm. vertically integrate upon what he has, I think, so well fine-tuned. That, too, is a big inspiration. There are lots of aspects that were really inspiring to me, but I, I'll leave it at that. Those are, those are the two big ones. Now, you've mentioned identity preserved a couple times. What does that mean? That is being able to have some traceability of food product, and I think consumers more and more want that, crave that, want to know where their food came from, who grew it, how it was processed. Mm-hmm. We're able to do that, and that that also is really exciting to me, to be able to be farming it and be working on our soil health and our good farming practices and then move from there with the um, original ingredient and go to processing and then pass it on to and also weave in their focus. I've been totally dorking out on the nutritional aspects and the taste <laughs> aspects and the flavor profiles of different grains and breads and stuff like that. But also kind of, uh, yeah, I started teaching myself about that component of it. And it's neat to be able to weave through that, that whole process and ideally in one setting so we can preserve the identity of the grain. We know what variety it is, when it was grown, where it was grown, right next to the mill, yeah. <laughs> and where it was processed, and pass that information on to the consumer so they can really understand and kind of embrace their food. Now, the mill is on the farm, am I understanding mm-hmm. that right? So when you say, a, yes. uh-huh. when, when you talk about mid-scale food production, how big of a building is required for the mill that you are constructing now? <laughs> Well, I think we we undersized the building. <laughs> it's about um, 40 by 60 feet, and, and we're pretty squished in there already with all the equipment. We've got the grain cleaning, and then we've got four silos, two grain, two grain conditioning, and two flour silos. We've got a roller mill, a sifter, a stone mill, and a bagging machine. So it doesn't leave a whole lot of room, (laughs) minimal room for storage, but that's okay because my idea, my intention is to mill fresh to order. So I don't want it sitting there. I want to mill it and get it to bakers right away. Are there any other mills like yours in Idaho? No, there's there's a smaller one in northern Idaho. There's sort of a co-op of one, I think, in Lewiston. And then there's a very small guy, and I'm not sure if he's still operational, over in McCall. 
but no, there's really nothing like this. There is um, a very similar one in Washington where we're we've got some of the same partners, same investors, and it's called Karen Springs. And there, he's just a couple of years ahead of me, so he's a few years in the operation, mm-hmm. and he's producing some really high quality, sought after flour. So I hope to be like that very soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what grains will you be milling in in your mill there in Bellevue? Initially, we'll we'll do a soft white and a hard red. Those will be primarily focused on um, kind of some bread flours, all-purpose, and some pastry flours. That will be kind of, I think, the bulk of our um, products for for the baked beef. From there, I would love to be able to diversify and grow different kinds of heritage grains and do some really different, neat, fun flours. Okay. So those two are varieties of wheat that you mentioned, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, you said that early on your dad grew some wheat, but then he kind of went primarily to barley. So how has that been yeah. to come back and start growing wheat now? <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. We have, we've got some winter wheat in the ground right now, and that, too, is a practice my dad did, I think, in the early days and sort of stopped doing it for the bulk of his, his grain-growing lifespan. Uh-huh. Um yeah, we'll we'll see. It's are we so far has done pretty well. I don't think there's. I mean, again, I'm 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 learning. <laughs> it's a learning curve for me, but I don't think there's a huge transition from one to the other. And the the winter wheat's just starting to pop up under from underneath the melting snow, and it's looking it's looking really good. So fingers crossed on the winter wheat. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, let's take another break, and then when we come back, let's okay. take, let's take a look at what your business is going to look like when you're up and running. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Get charged up for your garden work this spring with the all-new HSA 25 battery-powered garden shears from Steel. Available at your favorite DMB supply for just $119.95, these shears are perfect for detail-oriented trimming, making it easier than ever to make quick work of all your garden projects. And with a name like Steel, you can trust they'll last season after season. So head to DMB and trim down your spring to-do list with the first-ever battery-powered garden shears from steel. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright. Stop on by select D&B Supply stores for Powder River livestock handling equipment. Well, Brett, this is very exciting to hear about the development of this business, and I'm fascinated with what you're doing. So tell me about the the business that you have in mind. Who is your mill going to serve, and what will the business look like once it's up and going? Yeah, so first and foremost is local and regional. Um, You know, that's where my heart and soul is, and um, I get most excited about that area and local foods just in general and trying to connect producers with consumers more. But having the output that I think we'll have, we get the opportunity, I think, to spill out beyond our immediate region. And I think that's also sort of exciting because I do think we'll have sort of a more unique flower than is generally available. So I would foresee selling, I don't know, California, potentially Oregon, beyond beyond our region as well. And so will you set up everything on a contract or are you going to have a retail outlet as well? Well, initially we'll start with wholesale kind of bulk orders with bakeries. 
And then I'd like to, as quickly as possible, do retail and direct sales. That's I think that's pretty motivating and exciting to get flour directly to home bakers and, and consumers as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm picturing, and this probably makes no sense, but I'm picturing a roadside flour stand right there on, on Highway 93. <laughs> Yeah, I just need to get people baking at home more often, too. It's really <laughs> fun. It's, I, I've started doing it in recent years, well, yeah, the past year or so. And it's so enjoyable, and it's so gratifying, and it makes the house smell so good. It makes dinner so delicious. Sure. <laughs> sort of a lost art. It, it's really, um, it feels sort of overwhelming and time-consuming initially, but once you kind of get in the groove of it, it's um, it's manageable, and it's very rewarding. Now, you mentioned that there's another mill in Washington State, and the person starting that mill, they have investors, and and you have the same investors that are interested in your mill. So, there must be some sort Mm -hmm. of a trend or something going on here where people are putting money into this size of a flour mill. Is this something that's emerging more and more around the country? I think so and hope so. And I don't think it's limited to just flour mills. I think it is sort of this desire to return to some mid-scale or see a resurrection in mid-scale food production Mm -hmm. and i think the food system in general i think in our case it's sort of um, impact investor types um that that are concerned with the food system and our overall stability uh and the health of our food (laughs) for a variety of different reasons so yeah i i do i do see some investors sort of leaning more towards getting involved in these kind of more local projects um, that are beneficial to the community or beneficial to the local economy or to the environment or to ag or, or whatever their interest is. But sure. yes, I, I, I do see a trend towards that, which I think is really, really fantastic. Now, you've mentioned being a mid-scale food producer a few times. What does it mean when you say mid-scale? Mid-scale, well, I guess I guess it's pretty vague because at least a lot. <laughs> I, I feel like there are the, the sort of smaller artisan food producers, kind of backyard gardener, a couple acres that are selling to the farmer's market, that kind of thing. And then on the other hand, there's the Archer Daniel Midlands, um, General Mills, Cargill type. And that gap in between, I feel like there's kind of a big void. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by, by mid-scale. When you and I were kind of prepping for this interview, you mentioned that being a mid-scale producer has some challenges associated with it. What are some of those challenges you're facing Mm -hmm. in starting this up? Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. Well, for one, what I mentioned earlier about just getting the equipment, it's it's sort of um, it's hard to source in the U.S. Secondly, the regulations, frankly, um, it's and I and I feel like I still have a ways to go to get through all of them, but I think the regulations. Present a pretty big challenge for for food producers mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get all the all the permits and licensing necessary to produce and, and sell a food product or an ingredient. So the government's involved, but also just because there's a lack of this business type in the U.S., the, you, you're going across the ocean to find equipment. Yeah, exactly. And as far as the regulations go, I think you know the big the big guys they probably have a a team of lawyers to help <laughs> yeah. get through some of the regulations. You know, it's just me trying to figure this all out. Sure. <laughs> you know, digging through um, all sorts of different codes and stuff, trying to make sense of it and trying to figure out what I do and don't need to do to make sure I have um, dotted all my I's and crossed my T's, but we'll we'll see. (laughs) Now, how does gluten intolerance factor into all this? I know that we talked a little bit about this off the air, but what are your thoughts on that Mm -hmm. with what you're doing? Yeah, well... 
as I mentioned to you um, before we began, I'm, I'm definitely not a professional, not a scientist or a nutritionist, but I have been researching a lot of uh, on this topic, and I find it really fascinating because it does seem like there are gluten sensitive people or people having issues with gluten all over. And the more I have read and understood about it, it seems to me that it's not, for the most part, it's not actually the gluten. It's all the additives to the wheat and to the flour. And when bakeries are using sort of that large scale flour coming from, who knows, ADM, Cargill, General Mills, you know, the the big guys, a lot of that flour, my understanding at least, is it's often bleached and bromated. It's a chemical process that is illegal in um, most other developed countries. I think all of Europe, Canada, China, but we're still doing it in this country. And it's not labeled on a processed uh, loaf of bread or crackers or your cereal. I mean, when you buy your flour in the store, it'll say unbleached, but it doesn't mean that your loaf of bread is using unbleached, non-bromated flour. So I think that is affecting people's tolerance to bread products. The other neat thing about our flour is we're going to do what's called high extraction flour, and so we'll retain quite a bit of germ. And that's where the flavor and the nutritional value is. Mm -hmm. And generally flour, it's sifted off of normal flour because it has a little bit of oil in it and the oil can go rancid. So you sift that off and you put it on the shelf and it can stay forever and ever. Well, I shouldn't say forever, but a heck of a long time. (laughs) (laughs) But you retain that germ and you retain your nutritional value, you retain your flavor but it does have a shelf life. So that's why I mentioned earlier that I want to mill it and get it directly to bakeries ASAP, and I want them to use it. Right, <laughs> right away, treat it like a mildly perishable food, as, as it should be, um, mm-hmm. and it hasn't historically. So that's kind of what I am referring to when I talk about kind of our, oh, that we should have a, a much higher quality flour than we're generally getting in the grocery store on your regular sandwich bread or baguette or whatever. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, i got a few more questions about your business for you, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Wrangler is made for those who roll with the times. Stop by D&B Supply for spring looks that fit in anywhere life takes you. With a modern take on iconic Western style, Wrangler has new styles and great fits in jeans, jackets, shirts, dresses, and more. For everyday life and epic moments, Wrangler is always ready to roll. Some things never go out of style. For classic wardrobe staples that stand the test of time, get your Wrangler wear at D&B Supply. You already know Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet. And that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features like a 4-in-1 twin-blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn for important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a three- or five-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select DMB supply stores in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho. Well, Brett, I have not even asked you the name of your mill yet, the name of your business, your farm. What is that? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's called Hillside Grain. Our ranch is called Hillside Ranch, and so I, I wanted to maintain our traditional name in some way, so I just kept it simple, and it's Hillside Grain. So is the farm located on a hillside? It is, yeah. Well, <laughs> part of it is, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, my, my parents' house where we grew up is on a hillside, yeah. Really creative. <laughs> All right. Well, so let me ask you about you. Have you always been entrepreneurial, or is the mill in this part of the farm, is this the first business that you've started? Oh, this is the first business I've started. <laughs> no, I would have not considered myself an entrepreneur <laughs> a couple of years ago. Yeah, so this is a this is um, kind of a, a big undertaking for me and a, a definitely a new path. Now, is this business, has it brought you back to the farm or had you been back on the farm already looking for a way to, to add to it? Well, yeah, that's a good question. No, I... I had jobs off the farm before this and kept wanting to get back on the farm and kept trying to carve out enough time in my professional life to um, devote to the farm. And I, I really was struggling. So at some point I left my last job and said, heck with it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work with my family. I'm going to work with my dad and, and on the farm. And what can I do? H- how can I contribute best to the farm? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of, this is where I ended up. <laughs> so you, you came up with a way to, to add value to crops that could be grown there on the farm and, and, and yep. you kind of carved out your niche that, that you can be a, a contributor, uh, not a taker, uh-huh. I guess, from the farm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Now, uh, I want to ask you about this. You're, you're going to be producing all this flour. Are you a baker? Do you like to bake stuff? I do, yeah. Yeah, I like baking and I like cooking. I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning more and more about baking, but yes, I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> Have you had a chance to mill any of your own flour at this point and, and bake from your own flour, or is that yet to come? Yeah, I have a little bit, uh-huh, and, and I, I plan to do a lot, a lot more in the future. And it's fun. It's amazing how different the fresh flour reacts. Like, um, you know, I, I use a sourdough starter and, and do, the, do the fermentation process, mm-hmm. um, and and boy, it it really processes it, it ferments um, much faster with the fresh flour, and uh, it's it's pretty neat. It's a fun process. So your mill is going to be done here in a week or two, and then do you have to wait all the way uh, to the end of summer uh, till the wheat is harvested to actually get it under operation? No, so we have some um, wheat from last summer's harvest. Okay. And that's something kind of interesting to note. As I mentioned about the, the flour and it being mildly perishable, the grain is not. So mm-hmm. grain stores really, really well. And so we can store grain and then and then mill it, and then it needs to be used. <laughs> okay. And it needs to go right to the bakers. Mm-hmm. And, and so do you have contracts lined up with, with some of these bakeries and people that you're pursuing already? No, I don't have any contracts. I have talked to a lot of bakers. I've talked to as many bakers as I can. Uh-huh. You know, I think you get to a point, there's a lot of enthusiasm, and then they want a sample, and I don't have a sample. So I've got it, and my next step is to is to go around and get everybody's samples and start and start hopefully taking orders. So they're, they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great idea. Show me the flower, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I was just talking to a baker this morning, and I he talked about how... Um, and I've heard this before from other bakers, you have to adjust your formula a little bit depending on the type of flour that you're getting. And so there might be some shifts, you know, especially, and I also mentioned how, how much active a starter is with fresh flour. Mm-hmm. So I think my flour might react differently than what some bakers maybe have been 
using in the past. So there might be some, you know, adjusting of formulas. Well, let's take a last commercial mm-hmm. break. And then when we come back, okay. I, w- I want to ask you a little bit, of, just a few questions about the process. So anybody who would like to try this at home, they can learn a little bit more about the process if that's all right. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Balin Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at D&B. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at D&B Supply. Carhartt makes gear to get you through anything. So DMB Supply offers a wide selection to outfit any day, any task, and any weather. Built to stand the test of time and have your back no matter what comes your way. Carhartt clothing keeps you comfortable all day long. And for extra hard jobs, check out Carhartt Force, the line that wicks sweat, fights odors, releases stains, and works as hard as you do to outlast them all. Get decked out in Carhartt at DMB. All right. Well, Brett, you know, the original idea I had that led me to to finding you and to being able to interview you was to do an episode for folks who would like to grow wheat, say, in their garden or something like that, and actually mill their Mm -hmm. own wheat into flour and do it all at home just to be an artisan, just kind of try it for themselves at home. And I know that's not exactly what you do, but I've got you here on the line on the interview, and and you have some expertise. So I Mm want to ask you a few of these questions for the folks who are listening who might be interested in that. And the first one is... uh, uh, you know, if somebody, say, wanted to make bread, what variety of wheat would you suggest they grow? Oh, probably a hard red, hard red um, spring wheat. Hard red usually has um, higher gluten. It's more for it's more of a bread flour. Soft white is more of a pastry flour. All-purpose flour that you buy in the store is usually a blend of the two. Mm-hmm. So e- either would be okay. But if you really want bread, I would say hard a hard red. Now I know that on your farm you're harvesting the wheat with a combine, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But if somebody's going to do this at home, they have to actually replicate everything that's going on in the combine <laughs> for them to have usable yeah. wheat seed. So tell me tell me or tell everybody what goes on in that combine when the head of the wheat is cut off, what happens? Yeah, well the combines are as I'm sure you've seen, um they're pretty massive machines that are doing a lot. What you would do in your garden, I've done a lot of small little test plots and it really is actually pretty fun to grow it in your garden because what's most remarkable to me and this is a little uh, tangent from your question, but to to use one seed and it grows many different tillers, so you get lots of different little stalks, and mm-hmm. off of each stalk, there are a ton more little seeds. <laughs> so you can very quickly, easily see how one seed can produce so many more seeds, and your harvest can be, you know, X times exponentially greater than um, than your seed bank. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So the so what you would do, I I've used. I mean, it depends on how big. How much, how much you're growing. I've even used little scissors before to, get, to cut my little test plots. Uh-huh. But you could use like a sickle or a grass hook, you know, one of those types of things to to get a little bit more of a plot uh, harvested. Mm-hmm. And then cleaning, there, there's screens. I, I'm not really sure how else 
you know, if you're hand harvesting, it might come out pretty clean as is. But, you know, kind of cleaning it through a screen or I've never done this, but I think it'd be really fun. I should do it at some point. But like winnowing with a with a sheet and a fan where you uh-huh. kind of throw it up <laughs> and, and let the air um, push off the dust, dirt, weed seed, grass, chaff, whatever, you know, uh-huh. and then it falls back down on the sheet. Um yeah, so that's that's a way to get a, a little a little bit of wheat, and then there are um, some countertop mills that I think probably do just a fine job getting um, kind of a whole grain wheat for a little home baking. I think that would be really fun and gratifying. I I haven't done it quite like that, but I <laughs> but I would encourage anyone that's interested to give it a try. It sounds like it'd be fun. You know, one other thing that would be maybe easier if you didn't want to get it or don't have access to or have a um, countertop mill is um, just using the wheat berries. That's one thing that I've found all sorts of really cool things to do with wheat berries and, and barley berries, especially. I've been really excited about barley berries. It's a food barley rather than a malt barley. Mm-hmm. So it has really high beta glucan, which is actually an immune booster. And it's only found in barley and mushrooms. So that's super cool. And what, what we're generally eating is malt barley, not food barley. So I've been growing food barley. So you use barley berries or wheat berries and you can um, cook them like a hot cereal or I've even done it like a risotto. I put them cold in a cold salad or warm with roasted vegetables. So then you don't have to mill it and you really can still get the enjoyment out of growing your own, growing and eating your own wheat. <laughs> well, that's great advice. And yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the yield or or the seed and planting one seed. Mm -hmm. I've grown wheat in just a little test plot like you're talking about just to try it on Uh our farm down here in CUNA. And when I was researching and looking at buying wheat seed, I was reading what to expect in terms of yield based on what you were planting. I thought it was a misprint. I couldn't believe what. (laughs) And so that shows you how inexperienced I am as a wheat farmer. But really, it's amazing what... The amount of seed you put in yields you back. Yep, definitely. It is, isn't it? It's, it's really gratifying. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's a fun thing to grow. Yeah. Well, one last question for you. Unless you mentioned mm-hmm. you mentioned storing the wheat seeds. So for folks who yeah. do that, if they've got more than they're going to mill right away, what's the best way for them to store that? In a cool, dry place, it really doesn't need anything too special. Um, you just don't want any moisture to get in there. And you don't want to store it with any moisture in it. Like, for example, if there's any bit of weed seed or if there's some wet grain, mm-hmm. you want to make sure... or, or, or not weed seed, actually weeds, like green matter okay. that could pull in some moisture, have to carry some moisture into mm-hmm. the seed bed. So you want to get rid of anything that has any moisture in it. And then then it should store really well for a, for a long time. It should be fine. Well, Brett, this has mm-hmm. been an absolute treat to speak with you and to hear about <laughs> all of this. And hey, best of luck to you with the mill. It's, it's a fascinating business. Thanks so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.